Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone. Well, after a several-month hiatus, I've had some really exciting work projects that I've had to focus my time and attention on. I am thrilled to be back uh, with Market Impact Insights, and I can't think of a better topic to jump back in on than user experience. It's something that touches all of us, and it really shapes the way in which we view the relationship with the companies that are generating the product or service. Uh, that uh, is behind that experience. And I am also thrilled to have Philip Hunter, a principal designer and product leader, uh, to join us in the discussion today. Philip is a technology product design leader with more than 20 years of successful experience. He's played pivotal roles in consumer voice and multimodal applications at Amazon Alexa, 24-7 AI, Microsoft Cortana, and four startups. Philips also led product design efforts for Amazon Web Services and other enterprise software products. Philip is passionate about how teams work, how to understand, influence, and create complex systems, and the little details of product design that make big differences. Philip, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you so much, Dan. It's really uh, cool to be uh, chatting with you today. So, Philip, you have this deep background, a very diverse background uh, on the technology side. Maybe a great place to start is talking about how your perspective on user experience has evolved over time. Yeah, that's that's a great topic, and and um, there are a couple of different angles um, to take there. One is looking at it as my own personal journey, and just starting as a young uh, person in technology when I was in my late twenties and then working towards where I am today and starting to um, understand the depths that one can go to or one or organizations need to go to, to deliver great user experience using multiple techniques. Uh, I focused on the design uh, and product uh, over or product um, uh, management aspects of that. Um, and through that made a journey from you know starting in a very specific niche of technology around uh, interactive voice response systems that are frequently uh, associated with call centers and contact centers and moving through enterprise applications and now the application of speech recognition around the world in, in different ways. Um, and through that learning things like you know, about the different parts of design, interaction design, visual design, and then getting into uh, product design where you're bringing a bunch of things together. And then even larger than that, the idea of, of designing systems of things. So products that work together, products that make up different parts of enterprise offerings or services like my time at AWS where there's a, a bunch of services that are offered there that can be used uh, independently or in conjunction with others and, um, and, and at massive scale uh, some of the companies that use AWS are 
you know, the, the biggest, most recognizable companies in the world, um, all the way down to, you know, uh, two women in a garage creating a startup. So, um, the, the idea of how systems connect and, and all that. And then there's, you know, as I'm kind of describing that at the same time, there's the, the, the evolution of, um, our tech, our world of technology. You know, when I started in technology, um, I, I didn't have a, a, a mobile phone. Um, most of the people I knew didn't have a mobile phone. Uh, now we wouldn't be, you know, we, we, we consider our walking out the door with our mobile phone as important as walking out the door with clothing. <laughs> so, uh, our, our whole relationship to technology has undergone this massive shift. And because of that, the experience we have with that technology has also had to undergo. There's a day, you know, not in the two distant, certainly within living memory of, for many of us, uh, that uh, technology was a thing that we interacted with occasionally. Um, I, re I remember being 16 and getting my first personal computer. So I lived the first 16 years of my life unbelievably without any sort of digital interaction, uh, you know, and technology back then was TV and, and uh, basic video game systems. And, uh, but now we are, you know, we're, we're putting multiple pieces of technology in our homes. Uh, we carry around a, an incredibly sophisticated um, piece of technology in our pockets. Um, and, and all of those have an experience with them. And we used to call it user interface. We used to call it uh, human computer interaction. It all comes down though to the experience that we as humans have and the the, the more intimate that is you know, things in our home items on our on our person uh, the more aware we are of how it affects us and, and how we would like it to affect us and you know many of us uh, have adopted these technologies because they provide value into our lives but it doesn't mean that they aren't without frustration um, and um, and, and, and like you said at the beginning, user experience is is really it, it becomes almost a definition of, of the brand. And so when we want to look at how do we market, how do we uh, how do we uh, ask people to give some of their valuable time, attention, money to our products, we have to think, OK, well, what is the thing that we're creating that they're going to have to live with every day, that they're, that they're going to experience all the different touch points, all the different actions that happen in those touch points? Um, and, you know, we're, a lot of our thinking uh, around product goes back to sort of the off the shelf kind of thing. Somebody buys something, they bring it home, they're happy with it. Well, um, you know, this, uh, uh, how we use our vacuum cleaner is very different than how we use our mobile phone. Our mobile phone is a conduit to the rest of the world. Um, our web, a website is, is now a source of knowledge, inspiration, uh, factual information, um, uh, and, and all of these sorts of things. And so it's, 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 that's a very different world to live in than, um, I've analyzed the 52 different features of a, of a um, vacuum cleaner that I want and I found the right one. Um, you know, your vacuum cleaner right now doesn't change over time. Uh, how you use it doesn't change over time, but many of the products that are offered today uh, in the digital world do change over time. And, um, and, our, and our need, our expectations from them change over time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is uh, come down to a very much of a personal mm-hmm. relationship with technology, as you were talking just down at an individual level, yeah. right? What, what those expectations are, what those hopes are, what those reactions are, what the learning uh, is yeah. over time, right? It's just, it's, it's hard to generalize that, right? It just comes down to a very yeah. personal, personal sort of thing. Yeah. And it, and it means, you know, and, and, and it's personal and it's, and the system behind it though is massive and, and, and interconnected in so many different ways. And so it, it, it it's, you know, when, when I was at Amazon, um, there was always discussion of scale, um, and at Amazon scale means get big. Uh, I like to think of scale though as expanding both directions. When uh, and, and maybe it even is a big like there's a big set of personal things that we have to consider today versus you know when 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 we typically have thought about mass market, we've thought about a single thing that's offered to many different people. Now we have to think more about a, it may look like a single thing, but it has many ways of showing up for all of those different people. Uh, the way, you know, the way you and I use our mobile phones is probably quite different. Uh, it might be the same, you know, phone um, or a very similar phone, but it does not mean that we are using it even remotely in the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, that's a different sort of scale than, um, you know, how to support a uh, hundred million phones. Right. Uh, it's, it's a different way of thinking about scale. Right, right, right. So Philip, you've said that user experience is a key way that organizations fulfill their brand promise. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. So, you know, one of the, one of the key things about any sort of marketing um, is the message. What, you know, and so, you know, the message and the messages usually are around, you know, here's value that we provide that don't no one else provides, or here's uh, uh, a long-term benefit that we provide, or short or long-term benefit that we provide. Um, and 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 you know, I'll just break this down or put this very sim- simplistically. You know, you can think about um, brands that offer commodity, so food and general appliances, or you know things like that and brands that offer something that's that's fairly unique in the market um but both of them have to say you know why pay attention to us and and with the brands that are unique in the market it might be because uh, they don't they offer something that no one else does the commodity uh brands are gonna be saying well we offer this same thing but in a way that nobody else does it's cheaper it's faster it's better somehow um the idea with both of those is that when we say we provide, we're making a promise. We're saying, um, if you use us, if you come go with us, you will get this. And, and so it's this, you know, very basic exchange of, um, of you give me your time and attention. I will give you this benefit. Well, that's delivered in the product and, and, and the product delivers it through um, an experience. Uh, now, there may be something very tangible uh, that you get, um, but you know, right now I'm sitting in my living room, I'm looking at my guitar. Uh, I, I think my guitar is beautiful. I think it's, uh, wh- I know that it's well-built, um, 
but it it's not until I sit down and play it that I truly enjoy my guitar. And it's, um, and, and that's true of any product. Uh, it, it, you, you, you evaluate it based on that initial promise of, you know, I bought it for this reason. Now there could be other things that come along and, and have, you might have different reasons to appreciate that product, but if it doesn't fulfill that initial promise of, if you pay attention to us, or you go with us, you will get this, then, you know, your product is, is destined to either live in halls of infamy because maybe somebody doesn't have another choice and, but they're always frustrated. And we could talk about companies like Microsoft and Microsoft office and how, you know, while we all are familiar with it as a tool, it's, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I hope I get to spend more time and spread in, in Microsoft Excel today. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, but if you have yeah. to use it, it's the thing you use. And, and uh, on the other hand, um, you know, if you have a, a car that you love now, you could, a car is a commodity. You could buy all sorts of vehicles, but if you have a car that you love, you love it because of the experience it provides. And so it's not just a way to get from point A to point B it's, it becomes, Oh, I really enjoy this. It feels like it was made for me. And, um, and that's a different, you know, and so, and, and so car companies sell that kind of thing, you know, the, the, the joy of driving, um, a sports car, if you uh, are into that, or the the safety you get from a Volvo, or the mm-hmm. the uh, outdoors uh, abilities you get from a Jeep, or something like that, and uh, and so you know. Whereas I, I bought a car and just for the sake of not um, irritating anybody, I won't say what it is, but I bought a car recently that um, I bought for some of the promises. It was. It, claimed to be well-designed. It claimed to be uh, really fun to drive. Um, the reality of it after living with it for a few months was that I didn't like the car. I wasn't getting that experience. That promise was failed. Uh, and and it was because what they thought was good design turned out to be quirky design or um, flashy design not useful design, not things that made my mm-hmm. life easier mm-hmm. or more enjoyable. And, um, and so I, I'm very disappointed. And, and I used to think of this car and this brand as something special. Well, it's certainly kind of, it's a unique car in the industry, but I no longer consider that they lived up to their promise. I, I feel let, let down by that. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely is going to impact uh, customer loyalty. And of course, it's not just isolated to you; it's going to permeate out to your network. Absolutely. You're going to have conversations with others, and so it's just yeah. a, it starts scaling, right? The downside of not delivering just starts scaling. So, so it makes a lot of sense, Philip, that organizations would want to create sustainable, differentiated user experiences that are truly compelling and useful. But mm-hmm. what kinds of barriers do they face in trying to create that? Yeah, the, you know, when when you are trying to deliver on that promise, um, it, one of the first things that you run into uh, or that you see in, in a lot of different organizations is a disconnect between the parts of the organization that are doing the marketing and the parts of the organization that are building the product or the service. And, um, and that disconnect is, is sometimes caused by no more than, uh, 
the the organizational hierarchy or the the org chart um the idea that there are different leadership you know folks at, at the top and and that those folks may have some discussions but then they cascade uh, basically marching orders down through their orgs and but those marching orders are often about accomplish this what it doesn't usually say that's usually critically important is go work with this other team that's outside of our organization to understand what it is we're, we're going to accomplish what understand what we're going to deliver understand what why we want to do things in a certain way or or um and and then come up with a cohesive plan um you know when i i've worked in in the, the product and technology side of companies uh, my whole career uh, but what I learned fairly early on was that what was being said to, into our market, i.e. by our marketing team, was not what I would say about the, the, the product and the service. And, and I went to investigate that. I, I you know, started spending time like, well, why do we, why do we talk about it this way? Or why do we say these things? And, you know, and I, I would get deals brought to me and at the time I was doing, or in my early days, I did a lot of custom application work and the things that were getting sold based on that marketing were things that we couldn't deliver very effectively. And, and so what I got, what, uh, what I got really frustrated with was, you know, this idea that I'm supposed to, deliver whatever you say, you know, well, I can't because I, if some of the stuff, maybe I could, but I would need a lot more time to build it. Um, and so that's, you know, one thing is just that this, this, you know, this is operational disconnect within the organization of, uh, what different teams are doing. Uh, the flip side is that people in, uh, the marketing organizations and the sales organizations often have a, a, uh, uh, sort of a built-in connection to customers, right? They're talking to prospects. They're out there looking at competitors. Um, they're reading the market. Uh, and, and a lot of times product teams are busy thinking, oh, we've got really good ideas. So we're going to build this and then we're going to tell marketing to, to go, you know, sell it, uh, or to go, you know, show it to the world. Well, marketing's already doing something else. They're not waiting around. And so they're, they're out there marketing what they also think would be a good idea in the marketplace. So if those two things don't meet up, you know, you could obviously see the trouble that, oh, the product team has been spent all this time building something that they thought was a good idea. The marketing team was out there marketing things that they thought was a good idea. Um, but the problem is those aren't the same thing. <laughs> And so all of a sudden you've got, you know, disarray inside of an organization. So, so one thing is just simply getting teams to talk to each other and plan together and, uh, and, and agree on sort of how do we make decisions about what, what we're going to build and how we're going to market it in a way that, that really supports both teams. Um, and so in, in my career and you know, I'll talk about uh, my time at another part of my time at Alexa or Amazon or the Alexa, we were, we, we were in the Alexa skills kit trying to offer um, uh, developers uh, in the marketplace uh, tools and incentives to build things, to run uh, on uh the echo and the echo dot and all of these smart speakers. Um, and 
at the same time, though, those the things that would be getting built would be used by Amazon customers on the on the uh, in their homes, and there are a lot of things being marketed about um, uh, Alexa and all its services and capabilities. Uh, and and I and I paid attention to those, and so I would go to the marketing team and I'd say, okay, look, we've got these sort of two customer sets. We've got the end users who buy these uh, smart speakers and will put them in their homes and use them, and then we also have the developers who are supposed to be building those things. How do we want? How are you going to talk to those people? What are we? What? How are we trying to engage them? How do we support them the best? And now I was able to take answers to questions like those and turn them into features and, and product needs. Um, and we had really great ideas about how to make those work. Um, and then there were other times where I was able to say, hey, I've, I've been in the speech recognition world for a long time and I've worked with many developers and many kinds of development teams. So here are some of the things that I think that I know that they need in this new world um, and I, you know, was able to bring those to the marketing team and say, you know, how would we, you know, the, these will help developers build faster. They'll help them build better things. And, you know, they would listen to that and say, okay, well, here's how we would sort of think about that from a marketing angle. And that was really helpful. Um, and plus then they were invested in, you know, helping me get that out the door. Um yeah. So, uh, and, and, and a lot of that is, you know, it's, it, it certainly shows up in the user experience, uh, you know, how do tools look, how do tools work, how do, how do consumers interact with these devices. Um, at the same time, there's a lot more to, to delivering on that. There's, you know, engineering efforts and, and, uh, and then, you know, just going through the software lifecycle. Um, and so some of the barrier, too, is, or some of the challenges as well is, is getting uh, the, the chain, the, the, basically the operations chain to all work together. And so especially when you've got hardware involved, uh, it gets really interesting and you've just start, you've got to get really, um, really intentional about how communication and alignment takes place. And Amazon's got some pretty good processes for that, but a lot of other companies don't yet. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of moving pieces, um, right. a lot of interdependencies. So when we're thinking about all of these teams working together with a common goal to create the best user experience, what role does measurement and metrics accountability play in all of this? Well, that, yeah, that's a huge thing. And it's in, in the field of user experience, it's it's still kind of a, a bit of a controversial uh, area because we all love uh, quantitative uh, metrics, right? We we like to put numbers on things. Um, not everything we solve, though, for when we're creating a good user experience, or even necessarily when we're delivering on brand, is something that's uh, innately measurable. How do you how do you measure how how happy someone is? Um, you know, someone could say, "I'm very happy," or "I'm not that happy," or uh, someone could, you know. Um, but what's you know what number can we put on that? And and we've used um, Likert scales, you know the one to five or one to seven. Um, but the problem is that people themselves aren't calibrated, right? Like um, 
one of my least favorite questions to get asked in a survey is, you know, did we provide excellent customer service to you today? And like, no. And they're like, oh no, did we let you down? I mean, no, you also didn't let me down. It was just fine. It was good enough. It was what it needed to be. I didn't need, you know, I just, you know, I had, I had a problem. Uh, I, t I asked somebody a question. They gave me the answer. Great. Now, what would rise to the level of excellence is if I had a major problem and I didn't think it could be taken care of. And then it turns out that this person knew some magical thing that I didn't know before. And they took care of it so quickly and made it even better than it was before. Now that would rise to the level of excellence, but that's a specific scenario. And so what I'm getting at is that there are certain things that we can measure very effectively uh, around user experience. Like, uh, you know, if a time if a task shouldn't take very long, then we can measure. Okay, well, how long does it take people? Or uh, we can understand, you know, overall performance. Does the system most of the time do what somebody needs it to do? Uh, so, what's our failure rate? What's our performance success rate? Um, and, um, and so, so first, there's this problem of you know things like emotional satisfaction, which comes along with experience is very hard to measure. And we've tried different stand-ins like that promoter score, you know, thinking that the more people are willing to seem to be willing to tell somebody else about this in a positive way, a recommendation, then we think, oh, things must be good. Um, it's good. It, it's okay, but it's not an actual measure of experience. It's just a measure of uh, sort of brand loyalty is a, a good way to think about it, I suppose. And then there's things like CSAT or customer satisfaction, also really ambiguous and what you don't know necessarily, or what I see a lot is is that there's uh, uh, people get asked or customers get asked, you know, how satisfied are you? And setting even setting aside the idea that satisfaction is something that has a quantitative metric, um, where we really run into trouble is what aspect are they really do they really have in mind of the interaction or the brand when we ask that question? Is it, you know, the last thing that they did or the, is it the lifetime use of the product or is it um, overall impression of the brand? So we have a really hard time, you know, aligning metrics uh, that measure ambiguous things with what it is that they're actually measuring. So that's one, but it, but it's the more you try I will say the better you should. So it's not, this is not a, an endorsement of giving those things up. It's just to understand that not everything is easily, as easily aligned with clarity as we think it is. Now, saying all that, let me say this, because this is probably the most important thing about this. When you are building something, when you are creating, uh, or when you are trying to evaluate how well you are meeting customer needs or, or gaining traction with customers. It's super important to know inside the organization what success means. What do, what do you mean? If, if, you know, if we imagine, if we're launching a new product and in six months we want to be uh, widespread in the marketplace, uh, what does success mean? look like and I in a very concrete way like what if we want to pick a number what number do we pick if we want to pick um, qualities or objectives um, like 
which ones are important. And there's a number of different way, uh, methodologies you can use here uh, or, or about metrics. There's objectives and key results. There's uh, KPIs. There's all sorts of things that, that are out there. Um, some, I think, are moderately better than others, but all of them really, the, 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 the true um, usefulness, the true value in each of them is to get the different parts of the organization talking about success in a very concrete way. Because um, if, you, if you leave it to the end or if you leave it to post-launch, um, what you've really built is something that didn't have a lot of direction to it, that didn't have a concrete aim. And you might have wasted time and built things that you didn't need to build, or you might have built things in the wrong direction. It's, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I'll just, again, to be simplistic about it, it's like saying, I want to build a road and just starting to lay down asphalt or starting to clear land and lay down asphalt. Where, where's my road going? What's in the way of the road? Um, how, what kind of road am I building? Am I building a, a you know, a city street or a, uh, or a neighborhood, a tree-lined neighborhood uh, street, or am I building a highway? Um, and so, but a lot of companies start with this idea of like, well, we're just going to build this product. And, you know, my immediate questions are, who are you building it for? What do you, what do they need you to do for them? What are they looking for? What are they, what are they uh, lacking in their lives that this product uh, fills for them? Uh, uh, w when will they use it? Where will they use it? Uh, why do they get excited to use it? You know, and so there's a, a long list of, uh, of fairly mm -hmm. straightforward mm -hmm. questions that these yeah. this, uh, discussions can focus on. But the idea is, you know, have a concrete goal and the, and the more broadly you can discuss and, and uh, arrive at that goal internally, uh, the, the, I can almost guarantee you that you will uh, drastically increase your chances of success. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's context, it's vision in terms mm -hmm. of what the end outcome is, right? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. the activity of developing and building has a purpose, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's heading in a, in a particular direction. That uh, makes a lot yeah. of sense, Philip. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one other thing I'll add is it doesn't have to be something that your customers are necessarily aware of yet or have, you know, keenly in mind. So there's this, uh, you know, these I, uh, discussions about, well, build what your customers want. Well, the thing is, you, you may not always get be able to find that out. Uh, you know, my, my still my one of my key go to examples, even though it's cliche at this point, is, is the original iPhone. Um, it was widely d derided and disrespected when it was coming out. Uh, you know, it was missing all this functionality that BlackBerry had. It was, uh, you know, a fancy new UI that people thought, you know, why does anybody care about this? And, and, um, and, and, and so it was decidedly not based on just Apple going out and saying, what do you want in a mobile phone? It was them collecting signals about that and then having the discussions internally about what really mattered. And in the end, and they were right about this, there are some things that had been part of the mobile market that didn't need to be as strongly as part of it anymore. Uh, things like a, a, a hard keyboard, you know, uh, uh, and there were other things that needed uh, to be in the mobile phone experience for the future 
that weren't there yet. And, and Apple, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not an accident that, that the iPhone just exploded after a couple of years because they, they were able to tap into an unmet and even maybe even a, at the time, something that couldn't be articulated set of mm-hmm. desires and needs in the marketplace. And that's the kind of thing that you can only get at when you start having these crucial discussions about what does success mm-hmm. look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent example. Thanks for sharing that. And being a professional marketer myself, I want to steer a, a question more on that side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Are there some s- specific new capabilities or skills that marketers need to successfully partner with the product teams in driving that positive user experience? Yeah. Well, one of the first things that comes to mind is the power and the role of data uh, today is has started to shift uh, across technology and across products, um, has started to shift how we practice our jobs in a very fundamental way. Um, when I started in technology, the idea of data was just like counting events. Uh, so this many of this thing happened. And so what do we think about that? Today, uh, and, and well, even um, I was at Microsoft from 2010 to two, two, 2014. And even I was there in the middle of where machine learning just really started to take off. And I had done a little bit of it before um, on a smaller scale in a, in a startup uh, right before that, um, but we were, but but those it was it was sort of manual. We would gather a lot of data and then we would sit around and evaluate it for a long time. And we would use spreadsheets and stuff to manipulate it. But um, but machine learning, you know, is is this was this next step of first of all taking extraordinarily large amounts of data um, and then using algorithms and other automated methods to to start to evaluate it um, at scale uh, in a way that the human, you know, is really beyond the, what the human brain can comprehend at one time. Um, and what we started to discover and what we're seeing now that's coming to place is, is that it's not just the data, it's the items of data, but it's the relationships between those items of data. It's the how do the you know how do how does a set of data start to form a picture? And a picture, and I mean a real image is you know one of the things that we that in our brain. And I'll get a really esoteric here for just a moment. One of the things that works in our brain is is the relationships between every other visual thing on the page. So we know that a face is a face because there's this oval shape and there's you know two smaller oval shapes that are horizontal up near the top and there's a triangular shape in the middle and there's this uh you know very flat oval on the bottom that means a mouth and and it's all about these relationships and that's that that's how our psychology works is we evaluate everything we see by its relation to other things that we see um and and that's how data is working today and so a marketer uh has you know today depending on what industry they're in and, and you know, how, with the adoption of technology in their company and things like that. Uh, but in general, um, marketers and, and other parts of the product and, and company team have uh, access to amazing amounts of data. 
but not the skill sets yet to start to understand the relationships or even to uncover the relationships between those. And that's so working with data is a, is a key uh, skill to learn. And, and, and you know, I'm uh, I know someone who works at a company who specializes in, in uncovering those relationships and, and they provide value by basically showing uh, their customers, uh, their company customers, the clients, to uh, ways of uh, seeing new patterns and new uh, realities in the data that they couldn't see before because those companies didn't know how to put them together. But it's unlocking new aspects of current markets. It's unlocking new markets, yep. and uh, and it's really all it's 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 not based on a new offering or a change in the product or a. Uh, or, uh, or even increasing market share, it's, it's about saying, oh, we can do more based on knowing more about what we already do. Uh, that's, that's key. Um, the other thing I'll say, so data is one big one, uh, and, and designers are learning some of the same lessons at the same time. Uh, the people who create user experiences are, are also going through that. And, uh, and, and, um, and it's been really interesting as a, as a practicing designer to to start to to see what I can do better based on having that same access to that same sort of information. Um, the other thing really is uh, I touched on it at the very beginning when we were talking about the evolution of user experience is to is starting to understand the connections between the different parts of what a company offers to its customers. Um, in other words, uh, just even the idea that, you know, if I have a three-year-old mobile phone uh, and it stops working uh, or it doesn't, it doesn't work as well, that's going to degrade my, uh, my relationship with the company if it doesn't get addressed somehow. Now, you might say, well, it's your phone. You have the responsibility. Well, I don't know. I could counteract that by saying my phone knows how well it's worked or should should kind of know how well it's working and maybe it is maybe that company is missing an opportunity to say hey your phone isn't working so well anymore uh can we help you with that um and and so what i'm getting at there is this idea of again it goes back to to relationships and systems and how different things are interconnected and saying you know let's you know we we tend to make decisions in isolation but if we just stood back and say what what does this decision, what is it related to that's already happened or what is it going to cause downstream or uh, what are its, its connection points? And, 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 you know, another cliche to use is thinking about seeing a massive spider web and you, you might pinch one part of it and pull very gently. And all of a sudden you see changes in all the rest of the spider web, right? Because even though you're only touching one little part of it, it's connected to everything else. And so starting to understand, you know, whether you are delivering user experience or whether you're marketing a user experience, starting to understand what are all the things that are connected to each other that our customers are experiencing and, and, uh, and how might, if we make a change over here, how might that actually impact things that, that are in a different location in the set of experiences? Um, I'm trying to think of a, uh, the, the phone thing is something I I experienced recently where I just all of a sudden my Android phone that I had been using for a couple of years just took a nosedive in terms of performance. 
and went from uh, occasionally being frustrating to being almost unusable on a daily basis, like within a couple of weeks. And uh, but then it was on me to do something about that. Right. My, you know, my uh, wireless carrier didn't know this. My phone no. didn't know this, you know, um, but there's, you know, and, and it's not necessarily that I, you know, I'm advocating for this, you know, big brother state where, uh, where companies know every little thing that's going on in our lives. But at some point, you know, there's a layer of awareness where, uh, that my wireless carrier could have said, Hey, uh, you're charging your phone way more than you used to, or, um, we notice you're having to reboot your phone restart your phone like three times a day or you know there's that's other little signals that don't mean that they're snooping on me that they could have detected uh that said you know that where they could have easily taken that as an opportunity to say hey uh looks like you need a new phone you know you want 200 dollars off this is just for you if you do this right now um that kind of thing um uh, and that is obviously not what happened to me i had to go find uh, you know i did my own research i did um and uh, and so, you know, the, and there's some other examples, you know, think of all the, the companies now, Amazon, Apple, Google, that are building ecosystems of, of software around us. So, um, you know, and, and Microsoft was maybe the originator of this, you know, Microsoft had you know, not just Office, but all these other products that could work to, that could work together, but didn't. And when I was back there, I... I uh, back working there, I talked a lot internally about the orchestration of experiences across um, different products. And, 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 you know, one of the first examples that you saw of this was when, I mean, I remember when I couldn't paste uh, text or a table between um, Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. They didn't talk to each other. And I remember when that was first solved, uh, it was really when Microsoft uh, when office became office that that was solved. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that makes that, so, you know, makes parts of my life so much easier. Now I don't have to recreate tables in, in my, in word that I had in an Excel file. Um, but these days it should go well beyond that. And, and we expect it because there's this brand, right? And so if, you know, when you think of Amazon, uh, if, you know, if, whether you're a prime customer or not, you think of Amazon providing a number of different things. There's there's the retail products. There's TV. There's um, or video. There's uh, there's music. You know, there's you can become a seller. And the more you get into that, um, the more opportunity there should be for for Amazon to be creating a a, a cohesive experience that is uh, that where the the transitions between different things are fairly seamless. Uh, it's not that you don't know, but, um, you know, that, but you shouldn't feel, uh, that transition. Like it's a, a massive speed bump or a, or a gate that's hard to get through or, uh, an uncomfortable zipper or something like that. It should feel like, Oh, I'm entering a new space, but it felt so natural. And, and, and Amazon systems behind the scenes did all the work of bringing information from one place to another for me so that I could so I could make that transition. Um, I mean, I remember there was a time where, uh, you know, companies uh, built out, uh, you know, a website with one set of servers behind it that was different from their retail servers. You know, remember when you like, 
yeah, I guess some companies still have this, but like, well, you know, you, you order something online from Best Buy and you bring it back to the store and say it doesn't work. And they're like, oh, you bought that online. You need to call them. Like, but you are there. You are. I'm standing in a Best Buy, literally. Like, how can you tell me them when I bought it from Best Buy? You know, and those are the kinds of uh, difficulties we had over time that as as companies transitioned, and we don't, we really just don't have any uh, excuse to have to to let those persist anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent examples, Philip, uh, that make it um, very real and. You know, something that you had said in there was really around, uh, and I think this is something that motivates a lot of companies. I know having worked with a lot of customer success organizations, customer support organizations in my career, um, something that they're in tune with is um, being proactive uh, in terms of problem solving is always preferable to being in a reactive mode. And mm-hmm. it's typically, um, you know, it generates greater goodwill. It, mm-hmm. it generates greater efficiency from the Absolutely. company's perspective right. and uh, and all of that. So. Philip, as we wind up our conversation here, any final advice that you would have for business leaders as they look to optimize the user experiences that they deliver? Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I've talked about a number of, you know, sort of detailed and somewhat fuzzy concepts. I realize that like data and the relationships between it and and, uh, systems and and things like that. But I'll offer something really concrete here at the end. The user experience is, is, way more than how something looks. Um, it's important to have an aesthetic sense for your brand. You want your your products to be visually uh, appealing or you want your website to look modern and clean um, or you want a beautiful app that runs on a phone uh, that takes advantage of you know all the, the technology that uh, Android or iOS can deliver. And that's fine. I'm, I'm, I love beautiful things, but we have conflated user experience with the visual aspects too much that, you know, and said, well, if it's, if it uses the right colors or has the right, um, overall appearance that, that, that we're providing a good user experience. But a user experience is much more than that. It's, it's really the everyday use of it. How does it feel? to use it? How does it um, make you uh, think, wow, my life is faster, or this task is much easier, or my uh, my overall enjoyment of this, relative enjoyment of this task is, is higher. Um, and it's not that, you know, if you're a financial services company, you know, it's, it's not that you want somebody to say, wow, that was the best financial services app and I just really enjoyed using it. It's that people use something related that you've built for them and then they say, wow, I feel like I know where my money is. I know that it's safe. I know that it's doing work for my future. Um, I feel taken care of. I feel understood. Those are the kinds of things you get from a good user experience is I feel as a consumer of your product and a, and a someone who's a, a, a believes in your brand, I feel understood. I feel respected. Um, I feel like my desires are genuinely cared for. Um, and, 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 and that translates into user experience by all the decisions we make about how 
something works, you know, what are the steps someone needs to do to, to accomplish something? It, it, it's how the website feels, you know, does, you know, do the, do the words make sense? Do the, do the steps, uh, are the steps easy to understand? Do I know what's happening, uh, when something's being done for me or when I'm being asked to do something? Uh, do I, do I as the end user know what the outcome should be? You know, what, what is a good outcome? What does that look like? And how, how will I know when I get there? So user experience is just, you know, I, I think one of the biggest fundamental shifts around the practice of user experience and, and whether it's the, they're working with the marketing team or the engineering team or executive leadership is the idea that user experience in the end is how good does someone feel? Not, not how, uh, well, let me finish my sentence. How good does someone feel when they're using the product? And now sometimes, now that again, like other emotional states, that's relative. Um, if someone is playing a game, uh, it's, it can actually be good to feel frustrated or to feel challenged because that's what we expect in a game is, or it could be that we want just to be entertained and it's funny, but most games have an element of frustration and challenge to it. That's why we play them. Um, at the same time, if we uh, are doing shopping, you know, if we're shopping, we want that experience to feel like we've got uh, the right kind of selection, that we're able to find the things that we uh, want really easily, that we're able to acquire it really easily, that we feel like it's a fair price. Um, and we want all of that stuff to be really transparent to us. And so, so what good means is, is, is highly contextual, like we talked about earlier. But at the same time, for any given enterprise, it's, it should be something that's identifiable. And it doesn't always mean that someone is bouncing off the walls with excitement and giddiness because they used your product. Sometimes it's just, a, wow, that, that was just great. That makes my life better. Um, or that was easier than I expected is you know also a good uh, measure of good. Um, the measures of bad are frequently easier to tell. You don't want your customers to feel like they're frustrated or they're disrespected or that things take too long or they're, or that the amount of effort they had to put in was, uh, not worth the, uh, the result. Um, or they feel like they didn't get value or, um, you know, so, so all of those sorts of the negatives, you know, sometimes, uh, you, you work toward the positive by eliminating the negative. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's really my, you know, my key thing is, is like at leaders, I, I, I want leaders of companies to understand more and more that user experience is not how just how it looks that can play a part, but it's how it works and how someone feels when and after they've used it. Well, Philip, you've given us all a lot to think about. Thanks again sure. for joining Market Impact My Insights pleasure. today and talking about user experience. It's been great. And a reminder to all of our listeners to please rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to the content, including on iTunes. And make sure to check out marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.